Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Give your Bibles. We're in the book of Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is not, you know, most people, if they've been reading the Bible for a while, they know where the Psalms is, they know, they know where Genesis is, because where's Genesis? It's in the beginning. <laughs> they know where Revelation is, it's, it's kind of scary for them to read, it's at the end, but they know where it is. But, ne- but Nehemiah, as we look at it, I've, personally, I've really been enjoying just studying, just reading, and just watching, and doing so many things. And if you've been with us, just as a recap, um, we're now in week eight, and we, week one, we looked at how when we go all in, all in brings what? Opportunity. God says, here's an opportunity. Here's something you can do. Join in with what the Lord has for us to do. But we know that as we start walking, there's always opposition. There's always opposition. So week two, we talked about how all in, it brings opposition, not to be surprised by it. It's a fact of life. It's a fact of life. Week three, we looked at how when we go all in with the Lord, all in brings order because God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. All things are done decently and well. And then week four, we looked at how when we go all in, the enemy is out to tempt us to compromise, to compromise and destroy, uh, destroy what the Lord would, would do in our lives. So we looked at how we overcome that. Then we went to the book of Nehemiah. Week five, we looked at how God positions us. We looked at how God strategically placed a Nehemiah as a cupbearer to the king and recognizing that when we're following the Lord, wherever we are, the Lord is working. So wherever you are today, in your home, in the workplace, if you're at Fred Meyer, you're strategically placing Fred Meyer for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. I'm not sponsored by them, so don't worry. Um, Week six, we talked about how all in brings responsibility. Week seven, last week we talked about how we partner together. When we go all in, we need each other. I need you. I need you. When I see you, I'm so encouraged. I'm like, oh, thank God we're together again. This is good. We need each other. And then today we're talking about how all in week eight brings renewal. When we go all in with God, there's a renewal. There's this revival that takes place in our life. And we see this when we look at Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 6, we see that the wall is finished. When you remember that when Ezra went there, Ezra went to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the worship, to call the nation back to God. That's our foundation. And then Nehemiah, we talked about how Nehemiah was there to establish the wall, to build it, because in those days, walls represented safety, they represented order, they represented a place where communities could gather and invite others. We talked about the ten gates, how there were ways they were welcoming each other, and, and this was a big deal. And now, Nehemiah 6, we see that the wall is finished. Nehemiah 6, chapter, uh, verse 15, it says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days. They built the wall in 52 days after we had begun. But verse 16, it says, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. Remember the, the mocker, right? There's all these mockers going, you'll never do it. Even if a fox walks along top of the wall, it will fall down, right? But it's strong now. They're, 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 they're strong in the Lord. They're going forward. Their confidence is building. And it says that they realized, their enemies realized, that this work had been done with the help of our God. This is a huge 52 days. I've been working on my house for seven years, and it's still not done, okay? 52 days. <laughs> How many are like... I'm with you in that, Pastor Duane, right? We're still walking forward in this 52 days, and the wall is finished. Huge miracle. And just as a matter of recap, because it's important to know the context that we're in, the setting that we're in, 
we recognize that because of their, of their disobedience, the nation of Israel, because of their disobedience and rejection of God, the children of, of Israel, prior to this, they were in Babylonian exile. They were in captivity for 70 years. 70 years, as was prophesied. At the end of 70 years, God stirs the heart of King Cyrus. God can stir the heart of anybody. We seek the Lord. And King Cyrus, he releases them and allows them to return and rebuild Jerusalem. And then as I mentioned earlier, first Ezra goes out to scribe, rebuilds the temple, restores worship. And then Nehemiah returns and rebuilds the city in 52 days. And again, if you were with us last week, you recognize that this was done while they were being mocked, while they were being attacked. There was times where they had a tool of building in one hand, and then they had a weapon in the other. Can you imagine doing that? It's hard enough planting just with a tool in your hand. But they were, they were doing both. And I think in all this, we need to recognize that this was a great reminder of the God who cares about you. God cares about every detail in your life. Everything. He cares about your safety. He cares about the needs that you have. He cares about what you're going through, and he sees. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, look, don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, even what will we wear. And then Jesus said, these things, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, these thoughts dominate people who don't know God. They're not following God. But he's like, but your heavenly father, he already knows your needs. And then Jesus says, look, seek the kingdom of God first. Above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. We seek God first in everything. This is the great secret to life. The great lesson for us, seek God first. Seek his kingdom. Everything flows for this. When we place God first, when we are aligned with God, he is with us. He is with us. We will have food. He will supply for us everything that we need. So now the wall is built, gates are secure, and Nehemiah, he pulls all the people together to see who is here. See, Nehemiah, he's a, he's a God leader, and he recognizes that after great accomplishments, when, when, when there's a big win, when there's things that are happening, when we've achieved something, when we've gotten to the summit, this is often when we are the most vulnerable in our lives. Do you know, even as it relates to mountain climbing, that a lot of, a lot of mountain climbers, uh, when they climb the mountain, they only think about the summit, right? Getting up to that summit, whatever it may be. But here's the reality. When you get to the summit, you haven't arrived at the end. You're only halfway there because then you've got to come down. Most injuries, most deaths happen on the way down because we pour it all out to get there, and then we're like, all I've got to do is get down, and then you realize, wait a minute, I'm only halfway and now I have to use muscles that I didn't know I had to come down. See, success can be difficult to manage. That's why so many people, they'll often say the only thing more difficult to deal with than failure is success. Because in the middle of that, we can forget God. And this is the history, not only of the children of Israel, but also of all humanity to where we, we achieve something great together and then we forget how we got there together. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah recognizing this he leads them in revival. Now, revival is a word that for some of you, it might be a brand new word. Oh, revival, yeah, we're talking about it. But for some of you, that could be a word with a lot of baggage. Had a lot of baggage with me as a kid. When I think about revival, I think about, can I plan my sickness to happen at this time so I'm not in church every night? Does that shock you that a pastor would say that? <laughs> right? It was, uh, even as a kid, I remember just like that revival meant all these long nights and being told how bad I was. And I'm like, I'm only five years old. You know, I haven't done as much as I'm going to do. But, you know, it's, it, was this, it was a lot, there was a lot of baggage, a lot of pressure, a lot of stuff came in. This is not what I'm talking about. 
Revival is not about putting a date on the wall and saying this is when revival is going to happen. Revival is about a work of the Lord that God is, is, will do in your life as we follow with him. It's, and again, gatherings are important. Gathering is the first part of our discipleship process. Gathering is what we're doing right now. We're doing it at the same time online in our prayer services. Those are vital and they're important as we'll talk about. But when we talk about revival, it's important to recognize that revival is about waking up. Revival is about bringing back to life. It's about reviving things that are in your life, those seeds, the word that's been spoken to you, the gifts that God has deposited into you, the purpose that God has into your life. It's about waking it up. It's about waking it up from a life of being, being dormant or stagnant. Revival is about being alive in Christ. It's about walking in close communion with God, listening to God, having a life that is completely surrendered to God, and is now being used by God to bring about the change and impact that comes from a life that has been filled and transformed by the love and the power of God. When followers of Christ walk in this way, when they're revived in this way, the world has changed around them. Because now we're walking in obedience to now we're sitting at a cafe and the Lord speaks to you and says, I want you to go talk to that person over there. And you're like, no, they didn't invite me. That's weird, God. When we're revived, we're like, all right, God, my life is yours. I might have eggs on my face, but I'm going to walk in obedience to you. That was a path the Lord brought me to back in 2014 as I returned to Seattle. As I would walk through the city, the Lord would start speaking to me to talk to people. And it scared me to death. Isn't that amazing? Just like we, we don't want to offend somebody. We don't want to encroach on somebody. You know, we're offended and encroached on all the time. But we don't want to step out in that way to love somebody and to bring the life of Jesus to somebody. And overwhelmingly, I would say about nine out of ten times that I talked to somebody, it was received well. There were people around that thought it was weird, but the person that God called me to, there was often just a, you saw just a softening. And I'm like, God, I almost missed that. And I'm like, God, I have missed it so many times in the past. This is that revival that takes place, this obedience. And as we walk confidence by confidence by confidence to where I began getting on the bus, I began walking downtown, I began sitting in cafes going, all right, God, speak, I'm ready. I don't want to miss this. This is what we're talking about. So how does this take place? How does going in with God, how does this revival take place? Well, there's several things that I want to walk through this morning. And the first one I want to look at is what Nehemiah did, that when we go all in, first of all, there's a revival in community. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but true revival, when we are revived, it happens in community in what's happening right now. Remember, our love for God, everything comes from the love for God. It is evidenced by our love for one another. That's the fruit of God. The word of the Lord even says, if you say that you love God but you hate your neighbor, you're a what? You're a liar. You're lying. Now, is it hard to love your neighbor? Well, it depends on who it is. <laughs> I have some, some neighbors that are awesome, right? They, they bring eggs to my door, and they're, they're, they're a, a true story. Amazing people. I, I had a neighbor bring me seven dozen eggs. Guess who's my favorite? <laughs> right? But then there are, there are neighbors that can be tough. And even in community, right? There's all kinds of things, things that, that will happen. But this is the key fruit of our love for God. Jesus said, by this, this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, it's a contingent, if you love one another. See, community is so vital to us because if we want to be strengthened, it only happens in community. It only happens as it's tested. You want to be sharpened, it happens in community. Community strengthens us, it tests us, and it reveals the areas of our life that need to be revived. 
right? That's why Hebrews talks about that encouragement. That's that coaching that comes in. That's why it's hard sometimes to gather because there's accountability, there's love, there's acceptance, but there's also that accountability part that comes in. But this is the only way that we are strengthened. See, God is all about community. In Nehemiah 8, the first thing that happens is Nehemiah brings everyone together. It says, all the people were assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. Now, there are two key words in this. That first word is all. What does all mean? All. Not Texas tea, right? All. That's, that's for the Beverly Hillbillies. Anybody see the Beverly Hillbillies, right? All. Texas tea. Right? So all means everybody. Men, women, children. Everyone was coming together. But it also said unify. That means with one purpose, one heart. And as we talked about last week, unity is vital in a community. If we're encouraged one another, if we're walking along, unity will be fought for. And not only that, the Holy Spirit will move and convict the lives of those that are not walking in unity because we need to walk in unity. We need to be unified. We're in a world that is broken. The only way that we move to the power of God is as we're unified and we work that together. And it's difficult. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Right? But it is vital. It is vital in the body of Christ. It is built. That's why it's built and protect it and defend it. See, this was the whole point of them returning to Jerusalem. They came back to Jerusalem because they were there to be together and they were unified around the one purpose which the nation of Israel, their purpose was to reveal who God was to the nations around them. See, gathering is so important. I love what uh, Ed, Ed Stetzer writes. He's an author, a pastor, professor, commentator. And he says this. He says, God's strategy to reach a broad range of people with a simple message of the gospel centers on the church of Jesus Christ. That's all of us. And then he says, you simply can't be a good neighbor who encourages the world without the support of the local church. You, you simply can't do it. Jesus kept talking about this. Paul talked about this. All the disciples talked about this. You can't do it. You can't do, you can't do the one another's in scripture, love one another, serve one another, without being around one another's. We need it. And see, when true revival breaks out, there will be a desire to be together, all of us unified around God's purpose, and we'll be inviting others to join. One of the things that you see when true revival breaks out is people start inviting their friends. Or they start looking around and go, I don't have anybody to invite. I need to find somebody to invite. I need to start talking to people, and I want them to, to, to join. And some people say, you know what? You know, it's, sometimes church can be weird, and sometimes Pastor Dwayne says some things, and I don't know if I should bring somebody, and I don't know if it's, they, they start thinking all these things that their friend's not going to do. And it's like, that's not your job. <laughs> your job is to invite. I guarantee you, you go to Fred Meyer 10 o'clock at night, you're going to see some weird things, but we still go to Fred Meyer. <laughs> right? I do. I've seen things that are not really pulpit appropriate, okay, to say up here today. But it's, there's things, but I still go, and I have great conversations sometimes. This is what the body, it's about family. I'm not going to say, well, I'm not going to invite you to be a part of my family because my family's got stuff. How, how many families have stuff, right? I invite people over, and I go, this is just who we are, right? My dog's going to put fur all over you probably, but he's, he's the best dog in the world, and if you would just love him, you would know it's okay. And sometimes there's going to be those things. But we invite. This is what we do. This is important. 
we need to do that. So all in, there will be this revival of community. But when we go all in, there's also, we see this, there's a revival of the focus on God's word. Because there's community coming together, but community centers on the word of God. This is the light onto our path. This is the lamp. This is what guides us. This is what reveals us. The Holy Spirit even reveals the word of the Lord and shows us areas of the scripture that we don't understand. The Holy Spirit illuminates us and speaks to us. See, God's word, it brings us back to life. It revives us. And so what did they do? They read the law, the reminder of who God is. It says in Nehemiah 8, 1, 3, it said, The people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought back the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside from early morning until noon, and he read it aloud from early morning until noon. This is what they did. They read. They read. You're praying right now that don't go past 25 minutes, okay? 25 minutes, that's all I got. They read it from early morning until noon. Aloud to everyone. And said all the people listened closely to the book of the law. And what was their response? The response was worship. The response was submitting their life to God. It said, and Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They worshiped. Half a day, we're reading it. We're understanding it. And some commentators say there were even scribes going through and going, do you understand what's happening right now? So there's explanation happening in the crowd as they were walking through. And, because they want to make sure that people understood. And children. Everyone together. And I think it's significant that all of this, it could have happened at any gate, but it happened at the water gate. And this is significant because biblically, there's a close connection between water and the word of God. Water and the word of God. See, water is one of the necessities of life. You can't live without water. That's a big mic drop moment, isn't it? You're like, well, I never heard that before. You can't live without water. You need water. Nothing lives without water. And as a matter of fact, clean water is so important for our health and survival because our bodies are made up of 60% water and our blood is 90% water. We need it. And the Mayo Clinic recommends that we drink over 15 cups of water a day. How many are drinking 15 cups of water a day? You get the award because I'm, I'm striving, but I'm like, that's a lot of water. But if you put a Kraken symbol on it, it helps you a lot. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 15, our bodies, they cry out for water. So much that if clean water isn't available, we're, we're so thirsty. If clean water is not available, then we'll drink whatever water we can get. We'll take great risk at some point to drink water. And we see this in so many struggling nations to the point where a lack of clean water will result in a health crisis because if families and communities do not have access to clean water, they, they, they just drink anything. And then the, the disease that comes with that, the breakdown of the body that happens with that. That's why this is currently one of the world's health crises. See, in developing countries, access to clean water, they've discovered that when they come in and they do a water well or they find a way to get clean water, there's an immediate turnaround. You know, I was blessed back in 2010 to go to Kilimanjaro over in Tanzania. Man, what an incredible trip. Spent about three weeks in the country, spent about 10 days on, on the mountain. That's, that's me. 
I'm not fat, I'm wearing a lot of clothes. Um, <laughs> up on the summit, and I got to spend a little over three weeks there working with missionaries. We got to go back with the Maasai tribe in some just pretty remote areas, like areas that like you pack some stuff because you may not be able to get out of there because of animals or whatever. And going through, I got to see this up close and personal. Because see, what, they, what we know is that in, when there's water not available, then so much of your time and effort is spent on just getting water. There were moms that would spend one day going to water and then one day getting back and then carrying it. Just so their children have some water. And then they go again and they come back. I saw a child in this mud puddle that was dipped down to where there were cows and all kinds of animals around. I mean, you wouldn't even want to go near it. Flies are everywhere, and this child is just drinking. That's, that's, all, that's all he had. That's why when people have access to clean water, it empowers them now for time for school. Kids can go to school because they're not just trying to find water all day. Now moms and dads, they can go to work because they're not just trying to get water all day. It improves their health, and it results in improving and strengthening the economy that just that one thing, just having access to clean water, can turn an entire community around. And even as we were there, as we went in back then, I was able, I was able to raise over $25,000 to the generosity of so many wonderful people for water wells. And I got to visit some sites and to see what was take, taking place. This was a joint effort as we brought clean water there and the access to that with, with local missionaries and community leaders and having the community own it to where they would guard it and they would maintain it so that the water would be sustainable. As we reached out with the, with the love of Christ and they would say, why are you here? I'm like... My love for God compels me to love my neighbors, not just here, but you're my neighbor over in Tanzania. And there were some coffee farms around the way as well. That's when the Lord spoke to me. No. So, but what we say is the love of God compels me to do this. Well, guess what happened? The heart began to open. You would do this? Yeah. Do I have to receive God? No. Here's water. There was this revival that was starting to break out in the Maasai tribe. Missionaries, pastors, people coming in. It was amazing. And, and just think about the spiritual parallel that as it relates to God's word, his life, without water, we die without the word of God. We die spiritually when we are not being filled with the word, with that water of God. Not just once a week when you show up, but every day. I'm drinking throughout the day because I know that the more I drink, the healthier I am because we will drink anything for us. If we're not being poured in with the word of God, if we're not spending our time before the word of God, we're going to spend our time before something else. And it may even be a good thing, all right? Maybe something we're like, well, Pastor Duane, is it sinful to watch that? Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about heaven and hell here and, and those sorts of things. We're saying, is our life being transformed by the word of God? Are we pouring it in? Or are we just willing to eat any kind of trash that comes along? Even in my own health journey, I've recently lost 27 pounds, got some more to go. But one of the biggest things was just water. Thank you for the sand class, by the way. One of the, one of the things was water. Drinking enough water. Cleansing, being focused, and it took a lot more intentionality. Because I was just, you know, all sorts of things. Good things. But water cleanses us. See, we need to be careful because if we don't fill it with the word of God, something else will replace it. And we live and we breathe and we move by the word of God in our lives. But water also cleanses us. 
See, water is a cleansing agent. It cleans us. I remember two years ago when COVID was taking place, they were saying one of the greatest things that you can do right now is wash. Everyone needs to wash your hands. And they started putting up these signs like I saw back in kindergarten. Okay, kids, you got to wash your hands and sing A, B, C, D, right? And when you, get, when you get through, then your hands are done. And part of me was going, have we not been washing our hands this whole time? Right. It cleanses us because how often do we get dirty? All the time. We touch stuff, right? And many of you exit today, you're going to be doing that Purell gel and going through. And you're just, it's just because we recognize that we're always touching stuff. So washing our hands, we wash before we, I, I hope you're washing before you eat, okay? Strongly encourage it. We need this. It's so important. In Ephesians 5, 26, it says that we are even, we're cleansed by the word of God. And David said in Psalms 119, how can a young person keep their way pure? By obeying your word. It cleanses us. We need it. Every great revival has been connected to a return to God's word. And see, we're often tempted to look to other sources, but this is how Satan was tempted. Satan tried to tell him, you know, Jesus, just turn those stones into bread. You need this. You can, there's so many other things, and that's a good thing, right? What was Jesus' response? We don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, if we are to survive and thrive, we need to be re- repeatedly filled, cleansed, and washed by the water, the word of God. Reading it, diving into it. Reading it, diving into it. So there's a revival around the word of God. Thirdly, there's a re- when we go all in with God, there's a revival of celebration. There's joy that fills our hearts. And I'm not talking about a superficial joy. I'm talking about a deep joy. See, Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah continued, and he, he told them, he said, he said, go and celebrate because there was, there was something taking place that we'll get to later. But he, he told them, he said, look, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Go and celebrate. He said, this is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. And then he says this line that I've heard probably most of my life. And as a kid, I know I didn't understand it, but it was... This line, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We even had a song back then that we, we would sing. The, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know it? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy. Strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then we did a weird thing. It was like, ha, 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 ha. That was, I opted out at that point. That was a little too weird. So. Sorry, Mom, if you're listening. She'd be looking, ha, ha. I'm like, whoa. Um, these, these eight words, though, they've been spoken so many times, but I never understood the context. See, I thought this was just something, what, what I thought this meant, and what, what was probably, they didn't mean to convey this to me, but what I thought that meant, if you're a Christian, you got a smile on your face, right? You just, you know, just draw a smile, be happy. Anything wrong in your life? No, everything's good. I got the joy of the Lord in my life. You know, there's no sadness, there's no sickness, there's nothing. It is just happy, joy, joy all the time. That's what I thought. My next thought was, that's not what I'm experiencing. (laughs) Now, there's times of joy. There are those times when those feelings come in. But this is not talking about a feeling. This is not about a feeling. Because I even, when we just, when it's all about feelings, it just becomes where, well, if I'm feeling sad or depressed, that means I'm not a good Christian. That means I'm not doing enough. That means I'm not reading enough. That means I'm not praying enough. When you look throughout Scripture, you see men and women of God who were pouring in, they were filled with the Word of God, and they actually suffered from depression. 
It's in the Bible. You, you should read the word of the Lord. Because <laughs> when I read that, it's probably wrong, but I got a little happy that they were depressed sometimes. <laughs> You're better than me and you got depressed, That's, and I guess it's okay. Here's what it's talking about. So we're not talking about the feelings. We're not talking about those things that come in. What we're talking about is that when we're walking with God, it's that realization we talked a lot about during COVID, that walking with God doesn't mean you're on cloud nine all the time. Walking with God doesn't mean that there's just there's all these financial resources and nothing ever goes wrong. Walking with God through great difficulty, and I've done several sermons over this, and I've got lots of books to give you if you want to dive in, and I encourage you to do that. It doesn't mean that we're on cloud nine, sheltered from difficulty. What it means is that God is with us. The three Hebrew young men, they went to the furnace. That was so hot that even the guard who put them in the furnace burned and died. But who showed up in the furnace with them? Jesus. Jesus showed up in the furnace. When the disciples were out in the boat and the waves and they were going to be crushed, who walked on water to get out there? Jesus. So many great miracles took place when followers of Christ, those who were seeking God, showed up in the middle of their difficulty and said, don't worry, I'm with you. We're going to get through this. There may be death involved, there may be pain involved, there may be sickness involved, but I am with you. And I think that's why, and we've been saying it so many times, that I'll talk to so many what people I call seasoned saints, where they've been serving the Lord now for decades, and they're out there, and they're walking with the Lord, and they're going through difficulty, and I call them and say, how are you doing? They're like, I'm doing great. I'm like, why are you doing great? You're going through all these difficult things. They say, well, God is with me. Yeah, I'm sick, and yeah, this is going on, and yeah, I might get kicked out of here and all that, but God is with me, I'm following him, I know it's... He's going, to, he's going to work it out. Do you see the difference in that? And then they turn to me and say, how are you doing? And I'm, I'm crying like a baby because I'm so inspired by it. So I'm going, I complain about my coffee being old. God, how am I going to get through this? And you're going through so much more. And yet you're going, oh, God's with me. It's that joy that enables Convoy of Hope to go into Ukraine and say, no, God's call is we're going to go in. It's that Joy of the Lord that will enable you to talk to somebody that you're like, they don't want to hear about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you go out and start speaking because now he's helping you overcome your discomfort so that the love of Christ can be shared with those around. That's the joy of the Lord. That's that deep-seated, that confidence in the Lord that life's going to be this. I'm going to be on the mountain sometimes. I'm going to be in the valley sometimes. I'll have mountain. When you summit a mountain and you get strong in the Lord, he's going to send you to the valley. He's like, now I've strengthened you. I've deposited you. Now get back down and go to work. That's what Nehemiah did. He's like, get back to work. Nehemiah had this joy because if you remember talking about last week that when the mockers came in, he looked at them and said, you're just mocking what you say is lie. And not only that, I am more determined than ever to get back to work. And he got the entire team back to work and they finished it in 52 days. That's the joy of the Lord. It's that confidence, not a feeling. Feelings are going to fool you all the time. How many of you have been fooled by feelings? Anybody? Right? I've even seen people that said, I don't have any feelings. I'm like, no, you, you have, I've seen your feelings. <laughs> we, we all have that stuff. We're not, we're, not made, we're not made of stone. We're not rocks. See, all of this stuff, we need to recognize where the source of our joy is. See, when Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord our strength, he's saying that I know God. I've walked with God through difficulty. I've walked through the circumstances. And these circumstances, they deeply root us. Because when God has a call on your life, he's going to prepare you. And he's going to bring circumstances to your life to prepare you. You only get ready in, in the battle. You only get ready in the game. 
it has to be tested. Otherwise, we'll have a superficial joy that will cause us to shortchange so many things. This is the strong joy. This is the deep joy. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 8. is that joy that is rooted so much that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Paul went through some stuff. And he kept getting stronger. I'm in jail, but God's here. I'm in jail. God opens the door, sets free. He looks at the jailer. No, I could walk out, but I'm not. How's your life with God? That's the joy I'm talking about. And it says here that the celebration even continued on to the second day with the Feast of Booths. And that's a great study. We're running out of time this morning. But the Feast of Booths, this, this, this was an eight-day festival that went from Sabbath to Sabbath. And it, it was a command for Israel to observe each of these feasts. And as they walked through, they remembered God's provision from back when they were in the wilderness. God's protection during the 40 days in the wilderness. And see, during this feast, the Israelites, they were to dwell in booths. So there's a story there where Nehemiah, he has them go out and has them bring in all, all this equipment, all this stuff where they're building up booths because they want to remember how God provided for them back then. But it's also a reminder of the coming Messiah that will one day come and save them and be with them. See, when we think about all that Christ has done for us, giving his life for us, paying for our sin, overcoming the mistakes and all the things that are in our life, that turns to a deep joy of celebration. A deep joy of celebration. It's deeper. We need to be experiencing this. We need to be walking this. We walk by faith, not by sight. Those of you who've been married for a long time, it'll be, Steph and I just celebrated 30 years. 30 years. Baby. You know, and it's not always been just smile, smile, joy, joy. For, for Stephanie, for me it has been. There's been difficulty. Talk to our kids. <laughs> They'll probably tell you. But I'll tell you, we're stronger each time, each time, each time. In the beginning, we fought a lot, but we resolve fights a lot sooner now. How many people have been married for a while? You're like, yeah, we resolve things a lot quicker than we did back when we were young and stupid and foolish. We still have them because we're both still sinners saved by grace. This is what we're talking about. It's a deep celebration. Celebrate the goodness of God. And as the worship team comes, I want to leave you with, 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 with this today. I know I've gotten a little bit long, but I believe this is something the Lord would speak very strongly to us. When we go all in with the Lord, there's a revival of obedience. There's a revival of obedience in our lives. See, true revival will always result in obedience. See, the Israelites, they gotten off track in their history so many times by relying on their sacrifices. They thought that they could just do whatever they wanted, and if they just had the right sacrifice, then it's okay, right? So play today, pay tomorrow. It's better to ask forgiveness than ask permission. How many of you have ever thought that or had that spoken to you, right, by your kids? And you're like, oh, no, no, permission's better. See, the Word of God records a history of people doing whatever they see is right in their own minds and then thinking everything's okay if they just make the right sacrifice. But when we operate in that way, not only does it destroy us, but you know that that heart, that attitude is one of the main reasons why people don't come to church, why people reject Christianity, because they see people who say one thing and they do something else. And I'm not talking about just a legitimate, I mean, there's times no one expects us to be perfect, right? There's times that I've done things wrong and I've gone to people and I've confessed and said, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And that's actually increased their view of who God is. Because I said, as a, as a believer, I need to walk in this way. What I'm talking about is 
just this absence of responsibility, just this abuse of the grace of God. I think David best expressed this in Psalm 51. This is a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Here's what David said. He said, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. According to your steadfast love. Would you just continue reading that with me? According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David, though imperfect, was called the apple of God's eye. I believe this is one of the reasons why. When he was confronted, he could have had Nathan killed and continued to just shove it to one side. No, I'm King David, man. But I think one of the reasons why he was the apple of God's eyes is because when he was confronted, he was like, have mercy on me, oh God. I don't want anything to get in the way. See, obedience, as David illustrates, obedience begins with confession. When our lives are truly revived, when there's revival happening, as we see here in the book of Nehemiah, there was this outpouring of confession. Every great woman and man of God, when they've come into the presence of the Lord, they, they become aware of things in their life that are out of alignment. And that's normal. Confession is the regular daily part of every Christ follower's life because we mess up. How many of you have messed up this past week? I, I'm raising my hand, so I'm not going to judge. We mess up. We get out of alignment, but with every walk back to God, we are strengthened and we're reconciled, and he's faithful. That's why Jesus died for us, so that we can be reconciled to God. See, if we need to go all in with God, we need, we need to allow his word to wash us like water. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us areas that are off, to reveal our sin. And if we want to go all in with God, we will run to God and we will humble ourselves and we will pray that when we recognize there's something off, we're like, God, I want to fix now. I want to be reconciled. I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss your voice. The stakes are too great. I have family that does not know you. I have family that they're confused by you. I want to be investing in eternity. That's why when we look at repentance, repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry, God, and then we move on. The word for repentance is that Greek word metanoia. When we truly repent, we're saying there's a change of the mind. There's a transforming of the mind. There's a renewing of the mind. And that definition goes on to say it's a ruthless dismantling of all of our old ways. How many of you want that? You're like, Holy Spirit, dismantle all of my old ways. It's old ways of seeing. It's old ways of thinking. But then it's also, it's a diligent and vigilant building of new ones. It's not the kid that says, I'm sorry, and then they go back to the room and they, they pop their sister in the mouth again, Right? Hypothetically. No, it's saying, you know what, I'm sorry. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to walk in a different way. See, God does not tolerate sin. He's holy. He is righteous. He's loving. He calls you into himself. The Holy Spirit pulls us in. We only love because he first loved us. But when we give our life to, life to God, his spirit fills us. And every house that God fills, he cleans. 
He cleans house. And thank God he does. He cleans every house that he lives in. This, the whole point of confession is reconciliation. See, confession is all about communion with God. This is where he's calling us. To love your enemies, to forgive those who persecute you. You know, I think one of my favorite accounts of, of, of revival was the great 1904 Welsh, Welsh Revival. How many of you have heard of that? The 1904 Welsh Revival that took place. Amazing account. There have been books written about it, I, and I recommend you study it. But as it relates to revival, look what was happening here. It says, all over the country, testimonies of hardened souls receiving salvation and lives being changed were the talk of the town. That's what people were talking about. It said, the impact of the Lord's hand was noticed evidently in the lives of people. Stories of profanity silenced. Theaters were now deserted. Courts were abandoned due to a lack of crime. Are you praying that for Seattle? That there's such an outpouring of the Spirit of God that even the courts are like, there's nothing for us to do. There's no more crime taking place. It went on to say, and bars shutting down were commonplace. Entertainment such as football matches that soccered to us simply could not compete with the presence of his glorious visitation. It said sales of beer and alcohol declined steeply while pocket testaments were snapped up like hot cross buns as people hungered for the bread of life and true living waters. And when you look at what was happening, alcoholism was rampant. There was such abuse taken. There were so many wives that were abused by their drunk husbands. And now they were just laying it all down because God showed up in their life. This, this is one of my, fa my favorite accounts. <laughs> It said a story was even told about how even the horses in the mines were confused because once they were driven by men with use of obscenity and kicks, but now there wasn't any. So even the horses are like, I don't know what to do because you're not cursing at me anymore. I thought that was funny. Can you imagine that level of life change? Everything is shut down. There's this massive revival. So let me ask you today, are you hungry for revival? Are you hungry for this? Are you hungry for revival in your life, in your family, in your community? And if you're hungry for that, would you just, just stand with me and just, just lift your hands and just begin to call on the Lord? This is our response to the Lord. Lord, speak to me, oh God. Speak to us. We, your servants. Lord, revive in us. Speak to the things that were dead. Speak to the things that were dormant. Speak to the things that are stagnant. Lord, reveal to us areas that we need to confess today. Because, Lord, there's a mission that you've called us to do. But it begins right here, right now. Do that rebuilding work in our life, in my life, in our community. God, I speak against any attack of the enemy that would try to dissuade us from engaging in this moment. We need you, oh God. We need you. We need you, Lord. Do your work. Forgive us, Lord, where we've gotten off track. Holy Spirit, embolden us in loving our neighbor. Amen. I love that Quaker prayer that recognizes before you can be filled, you got to be emptied, right? You tip over your hands and say, Lord, I'm letting go of everything. That's thoughts, everything, everything. You're like, God, why won't you fill me? It's like, you've, there's junk. <laughs> you got to let go of everything. 
that can be junk in your mind, in your heart, wherever it is. Do that cleansing. Say, God, whatever. I trust you. I trust you. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, seal this word. Seal this word. Lord, I, I'm praying for those today that the Holy Spirit has talked to them, that they need to go and confess and ask forgiveness of somebody. Lord, I pray they would recognize that this is the beginning of their healing. This is the beginning of their restoration. This is the beginning of their reconciliation. So, Lord, I speak against every attack of the enemy that would try to stop them. And, Lord, I pray that uh, if it's the one who's going to ask forgiveness. But, Lord, I also pray for the one that needs to receive that. God, that we would be willing to forgive because we've been forgiven of so much more. Lord, do that work in us, I pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. This is our benediction. Let's say this before we leave today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 